You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin here today by calling in the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to all of those who've gone before us, who bring all that is good and true and beautiful out of the past and into the lives of the living. I give gratitude to these ancestral helping spirits for the rich legacy that allows us to actually learn from those who have gone before us, to learn from the mistakes that have been made, to learn from the beauty that has been created, to learn in a way that allows us to let go of those things that do not serve life and to truly embody those things that do particularly those things that have proven to do so over time uh, no matter the people no matter the place no matter the time in which they are living some things are consistent uh, constant just as the relationship between humans and their earth and so I call out for these ancestors who were here before us to help the living to do what it is that we have come into this time to do and I call out to those helping spirits that are non-human who were here uh, before anyone even thought up a human. I call out to those ancestral helping spirits to be with us to help us to remember our true nature. To surrender to that which abides in our life and to pay attention to cultivate those things that will go with us when we die. To live well so that we are able to die well. And I ask these non-human helping spirits to be with us um, in each day and to help us to understand how to live in a good way for all living things. And as the ancestral helping spirits in all their many forms gather around us, let us draw our energy from wherever it might be into our heads, from our heads to our hearts, from our hearts to our bellies, and from our bellies let us reach down and touch the earth and take a moment in this day to stop all the multitasking and all the many things that are going on. Just take a moment to give thanks, to give gratitude for this day, and all that it holds, no matter what that might be. Gratitude for all that has been in your life that has brought you to this moment. And gratitude for all that is to come, without needing to know what that might be. We give gratitude for the beauty all around us, for the great diversity, and for the generosity in the earth's dreaming. That generosity that allows us to change anything as long as we are still breathing. And we give great gratitude to the peoples that have walked the earth that give us the skills to do this. We give great gratitude to the earth simply for the wonder of life, that great miracle, that tiny spark we each carry within ourselves that is our piece of that original spark that sparked this entire experience of form into existence. And for all of this, we give gratitude to the earth, this place in which we walk this journey. And with our gratitude pouring out from our heart, let extend our energy down through all the layers of the earth, letting our gratitude flow until we reach the very center of the earth. And there, in the very center, let us reach out and connect to this energy that draws its strength from darkness, from stillness, from silence, from non-action, from not yet being. Let us connect deeply into this regenerative, restoring, rejuvenating energy. And breathe it in, draw it in, and finally draw up this energy of the earth, drawing into our lives that which restores, renews, revitalizes us, that which is the energy that becomes abundance in our lives and prosperity, drawing up that energy that fuels and supports joy, fuels and supports a stance in the world that inspires others to be alive, to be truly alive. And so we call up this energy of the earth. And we use this energy to ground ourselves, to have a sense of where we stand and why we stand there. 
And when we have this sense of place in our life, let us build a sense of home and belonging. And in that home, let us build a sense of hearth. And in that hearth and home and belonging, may we do this in a way that is not exclusive, that not, does not define ourselves as separate from others, but creates um, always an open door, a place at the table, a welcoming in of those who are other than we are, that we might be provoked by that which is different to explore who it is that we've truly come here to be. And as our hearts and our homes open, May we open to those aspects of ourselves we're not in such good relationship with and learn about connection and interconnection and the interrelatedness of things. May we reach out and understand how to better live with our environment and reach out even further to feel our connection with the invisible world. And as we connect and interconnect and extend out, may we feel the great web of life. And for one blessed moment in this day, may we know our place in the oneness of all things. And may we take from that knowing our right relationship with ourself, right relationship with others, and right relationship with the invisible world. And as we settle in, grounded to where we stand, coming into right relationship with all things, let us draw this energy of the earth up from our bellies to our hearts and our hearts to our minds and up and out into the sky above and whatever weather that holds for you today, out through the sky, out through the atmosphere, out into the cosmos. Imagine that your energy is being caressed by all the heavenly bodies and the wonders of our universe we do not yet know. And allow yourself to caress these energies, to connect to all that is above. Reaching all the way up to the highest power of the universe, and by whatever name you know that energy, name it. Know that energy in your heart and mind, yourself as one with it, and it as one with you, and draw this energy down. Drawing into yourself and drawing into your day, drawing into these proceedings, the energy of blessings, the energy of protection, the energy of commitment and devotion. We draw these essence energies in that we might be present within ourselves, aligned with our purpose, and do what we have come to do in this day. We call this energy in that we might feel the benevolence and the beneficence of our universe, that we can draw in the wisdom of the cosmos and to be inspired and ask that the way be illuminated, that we may do what it is that we were born to do. And as we draw this sky energy down from above into our heads and our heads to our hearts and our hearts to our bellies and we send it down into the center of the earth, let's take a moment and recognize within ourselves this meeting place in the human, the humans that open up this meeting place of heaven and earth, these two great legendary lovers, earth and sky. And it is in their big love or out of their big love that all that we know has come into form. And when we ask that big love to awaken the true spirit of our hearts, not the selfish personal love and romance and I need this and I want that, but the true spirit of the heart, the heart that is mighty, the heart that is ready to live a life of legend. Let us awaken that true spirit of the heart and call out to that crucible of transformation that draws up the fiery passions of the belly that might, they might be known and no longer hidden and draws down the crystal clarity of the mind so that we get out of visions and fantasies and start to think about how to really do what it is that we came here to do. We bring these energies together in the heart and let them dance in this dynamic tension that will give birth to that third and most sacred thing that you carry in your heart, whether you feel it as a feeling or it becomes as a memory or simply a sense that you find in the heart a beginning of your knowing of why you are here. And may you find in that very same human heart the courage that you need to do something in this day, large or small, to bring your gifts into the world and to make them manifest. And know that all the help you could ever need stands around you. And we give great gratitude for the spirit help that is gathered around us here today. May what needs to be said be said and what needs to be heard be heard. And may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. And speaking of living things that I'm grateful for, I'm grateful for you, for Belle, Mary, Suzanne, uh, Stefini, Nuala, Nat, Nazan, and all of the listeners who have donated to the show. I'm grateful for those who've been donating regularly for years and those new 
those who donate um, monthly by setting up in your PayPal account a way to do that, and those who donate randomly. I'm grateful for those who donate large amounts and those who donate small amounts. I'm not expecting anyone necessarily to donate $5,000, but it's not unreasonable to think a 1,000 of you might donate $5 a month. And in this way, we keep this show alive and on the air. It is through your support that the bills get paid and that we are able to do what it is what we're doing, which is to put this information out there free in the world for anyone who can access the Internet. It's available on iTunes. It's available at whyshamanismnow.com. There are over 300 hours of archives, and I'm deeply grateful for all of you that are making that possible. So thank you. If you would like to donate to the show, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com, click on the support button, and donate any amount, large or small. It all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And for those of you that cannot donate financially, remember that the very core of shamanism is learning to allow what moves our heart, deeply moves our heart, to motivate our actions. And this is not a small selfish thing, but to actually move beyond um, the small selfish acts into the greater capacity of our heart, that spirit of the heart that I talked about, and to let that heart spirit motivate our actions in the world, which is not a simplistic thing and is not an easy way to live. But that is the core of shamanic action in the world, is that what moves our heart, what has meaning and purpose in our lives, is what motivates our actions in the day. So if the show moves you in the heart in any way, um, through happy, joyful inspiration or irritation and frustration, just know that you have been moved in the heart. And please do something, large or small, to help to support the show. And um, as you know, it takes more than money to make things happen in the world in a good way. So I appreciate all of you who are actually uh, working with the ideas shared on the show. I appreciate your emails about what's working, what your questions are, what new show ideas uh, come out of your efforts, but mostly um, I deeply appreciate those of you who take the time to share with me how these things are moving in your world. So thank you all for all that we are doing. So here we are at the beginning of a new year, yet another year, and today the show is live. So if you have any questions about today's topic, which is again about co-creating, but in particular, how do we the living co-create with all these dead people all over the place? How do we co-create with the dead? It's one of the aspects of the art of co-creation that is rarely addressed. <clears throat> so if you have questions about today's topic, you can call in at 512-772-1938 or you can Skype in at the co-creatornetwork.com site and um, we'd be happy to talk to you via Skype or you can simply email me a question during the show or after at christina at lastmaskcenter.org, L-A-S-T-M-A-S-K-C-E-N-T-E-R, lastmaskcenter.org. <clears throat> so here we are. We are each here on the planet to live our soul's purpose, and I believe that we are. So if our soul's purpose is unique to us, which I believe that it is, uh, then we will each have to create our own life. We will each have to create a life that is a living expression of our soul's purpose. So we um, can't really expect others to create that for us. It's kind of like looking for that perfect job out there that's going to allow you to express your uniqueness, free, your uniqueness freely. It's going to pay you gobs of money. It's going to invite you to grow and expand in whatever ways you're inspired in your life. And you're going to meet your soulmate in the meantime there in your workroom. Right? It's like imagining that somehow out there someone is going to create that for you. And the truth of the matter is it's not that we won't work for other people along the way, but it's your job to co-create your life. Uh, so how do you really do that? So how do we really create something new in our lives? Well, if you've been listening to the show, especially in last December, um, we here in the Northern Hemisphere, we're getting all focused on using the winter solstice as a means of clearing old versions of ourselves out of the way that we could better align with our own true calling. And so that is one of the things that we can do to co-create in a new way. But if you miss those shows, that's fine uh, because 
we're also looking at the art of co-creation. And so last week's show, we had a guest, Elida Birchon, who's just published a really good book called The Co-Creation Handbook um, on co-creating that. And the reason that I think it's a good book is because I think it does not fall into um, the holes that many books on co-creation or processes on co-creation fall into. One of it is expecting too much to be given to you by spirit and not understanding the actual legwork you really do have to do. And then the other is not really using spirit, not really giving over and knowing when to surrender and allow the spirit world to help. And I think um, that's part of the art of co-creating your life is understanding what is yours to do, what is only yours to do and to step up and do it, to learn how to do it in better ways, but also to understand how to work with the invisible world and the coincidences and the surprises and the possibilities in life that um, really make it an an act of co-creation. So, We've been talking about this here in January um, while everybody's doing their deep yin winter work because it's a time to just be shaping visions and gestating ideas and um, rolling things around in your mind and your heart and your life. It's not necessarily the time yet to take the big actions, but it really is a time to to focus on the vision and with that is also looking back at our life and understanding well i've been so that i don't uh create the same mistakes we are going to create mistakes Instead of making the same one, it's, it's inevitable if we're actually in a creative process. There will be mistakes. What we'd like to do is just make new ones over and over again. Because if we're really making the same ones over and over and over again, are we actually creating or are we simply repeating a new version of what we've already done? So that's why last week we started talking about co-creating or how to skillfully ask spirit to assist you in creating a life that is a living expression of your soul's purpose. And... Um, One of the important things that um, Elida shares in her book um, is that there are four basic principles. There are essential concepts that we need to understand and apply to life um, because they will change or shape, I would say reshape, how we think, feel, and act so that we are um, better oriented to co-create. And so those um, fundamental principles in life is, one, the understanding that happiness is a fundamental choice. Now, this is huge when you think about all the things you do to reach outside of yourself to be happy. So understanding that happiness is actually a fundamental choice, you know, this is one of the five greatest regrets of contemporary Americans at their death is they did not realize soon enough that happiness is a fundamental choice. So that's a very important piece. The next thing is learning to be in the flow of manifestation and to feel the joy in that versus a more childish perspective, which is simply I'm only happy when I'm getting what I want. I'm not engaged in or caring or valuing the quality of the journey getting there. I just want what I want and I want it now. Um, so the principle here is to really come to understand that in the process of co-creating a life that you want it's an ongoing act of manifestation and in and when we are in that flow of truly co-creating there is great joy and joy is something that resonates at a much deeper soul nourishing level than happiness which is fleeting um Not a bad thing, but not the same thing as joy. It doesn't nourish our soul in the same way. The third principle is um, how you respond is your choice. And this is spoken in many different ways, in many different shamanic cosmologies. In the four agreements, it's don't take your life personally. Um, Many, many ways. But 
the important thing, I talk about it in the context of clearing and coming to understand that how you are responding to your life is always your choice. It may be your response may be driven by an old choice, but it's still your choice and you can rechoose it now if you learn the skills to doing that. And then finally, the fourth principle that's really at the root of understanding how to co-create a life of meaning and purpose is simply the recognition of what I've already talked about today, which is that it's your responsibility that you are the predominant creative force in your life. It's not God. It's you. You were put here to make your spirit manifest. That's not God's job. It's your job. That's the whole point in being here. So all of this is really, really important. And understanding these fundamental principles and beginning to live them and notice what it brings up in you to challenge them is how you begin to see the beliefs and values that you hold, maybe unconsciously, that are really contrary to being someone who understands your your responsibility um, in the act of co-creating your life. So... The important thing is is um, recognizing that there there are fundamental beliefs that we hold about happiness and flow and choice and being the creative force in our life um, that are necessary. So if this is the belief system that you got from your family of origin, then you're going to be fine co-creating your life. You probably don't even need to be listening to this radio show. But if you didn't get those beliefs from your family, and most of us didn't here in America at least, um, then what you need to do if you want to co-create your life is bring these beliefs in and notice how they provoke those older beliefs that you hold that are contrary to them. So in other words, there are, there, are, there are systems of belief and values that are really potent if you want to co-create and those that will really undermine that process. And most of us didn't get a belief system that supports co-creation in our life. And it's um, – and partly that's because um, our parents didn't get a supportive belief system, nor our parents' parents, etc., So in other words, most of us did not inherit a potent belief system for co-creation from our families, right? Um, What I see, so for example, if I think just in general about clients that I see, um, I see a lot of people really struggling with what I call a run program life, that they they don't realize that they have, have accepted a program for life from their family, which is a set of what they perceive of as the expectations or the definition of what is a right way to live. And they're simply running that program versus choosing their life. And if they're seeing me, there's some problem in that. Either it's creating poor health or they're unhappy or they're really – you know, really brokenhearted or really living a soulless life because they're just running this program. So that's one of the things we do instead of having this real potent belief system for co-creating is we just run run program. We live a run program life. I live basically um, today's version of exactly the same pattern your parents lived or the flip side of that, which is rebelling against it. But either way, even if you're rebelling, that same pattern is driving you. That's a run program life. The second kind of thing that I see in my practice is the kind of life that I call, I could have been a contender. (laughs) It's like, I could have been a contender, but it's always, but I had to take care of my mom when my dad died. I had to take care of my three sisters when, you know, my mom uh, had to go back to work. You know, I had to do this. I had to do this. It has to do with this sense of what we perceive of as our nobility, what we perceive of as these family values and our responsibility to the family. But but being and doing what my family expects me to be is different 
then being the person I have come here to be and loving my family and therefore doing things with them and for them. So, for example, um, I, I don't need all of you to be sending me condolences, but my father did die this November. So an example was I had a choice, which would be to to get in the car and go to be at his bedside as he was passing, knowing full well he was no longer conscious, but just to be there because that's what was expected of me by my brother, by my by everybody in the town, that I would come running to be there in his last moments. Or I could stay here in my shaman room and continue the work I was already doing to help my father cross over in a good way, to help deal with the dead who had died before my father, and to help disentangle him from the ancestral patterns that had entangled him in his life and particularly in his death. And so my point is the person who chose to stay here was choosing to be the woman that I am, to bring my gifts to bear on the situation and to fulfill my personal promise to my father, which is that I would make sure he gets to the land of the dead in a good way. And that is different. And I felt the pressure, believe me, of all of the things everybody else expected me to do to show respect to my father and his dying. So my point is, being the person you've come here to be and acting out of love and kindness is often a very different choice than simply doing what people expect you to do because you're family, because you're loyal to this group or that group. And I am a person who is loyal to a fault and it has caused me to make wrong choices and caused problems in my life many times. And so this whole I could have been a contender but is one of the many ways people throw their life away because they see if I'm not doing what my family expects me to do that I'm not loving them. And the truth is love is not that limited. There are many, many ways as you co-create your life to show the love that you have for people, for places, for things, for whatever it is that you love. So another version of what I see people doing instead of living a potent belief system for co-creating their life is basically driving their life in the fundamental belief they're not worthy of co-creating their life. They're not worthy of the life that they can imagine, which is based on a fundamental lie of separation from God. If you understand that you are one with all things, then of course you're worthy because you're one with all things and everything, so everything's worthy. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a crazy trap, but I see a lot of people in it. The other piece is I'm worthy, but I don't trust the universe. There's a lot of versions of it. Nobody says I don't trust my un- the universe, but they don't trust this. They don't trust that. And what it, what it all amounts to is ultimately living out a belief system in which you do not trust that this world is abundant. And that if you co-create well with spirit what you need and want and what will bring you joy and what will allow you to live, your gifts will come to you. And the reason most of us don't believe that is because honestly, it almost always comes exactly how you don't expect it. But we know that. So stop using the fact that it hasn't come to you exactly how you expect it as a way to reinforce and prove to you that you shouldn't trust the universe. And I guess the final and most common um, belief system that I see people running underneath this idea that they're co-creating their life is um, I will die if I do what I love. I know nobody says it that way, of course, but it's the belief system underneath it. All these reasons I can't do what I know I need to do. Now, some of you don't know what you need to do bless your hearts and I know that and we need to work with that but a lot of you actually have a pretty strong sense of what it is that you're here to do where you feel alive what allows you to feel passion and you just don't do it because you've got this whole belief system underneath it all that says if I co-create my life as I am truly called by my heart and my mind and my passions to do I will die 
And so this is what I mean by bringing in a fundamental belief system that is potent for co-creating your life and see what beliefs it kicks up. What does it kick up in you that makes you think you can't do this and expose that deeper underlying belief system that you hold. Okay, so the question here today though on this show is how? How do you deal with co-creating your life when you inherited an impotent belief system from the dead? From your parents, who may not be dead yet, but your parents' parents. I mean, your parents didn't make this up. They inherited from their parents, who inherited it from their parents, and so on, going back in time. So the important thing about those people who don't make it out of here when they die is that their energy and the beliefs they lived with hang around. They become a burden and they reinforce those impotent ideas when you have them. They make them seem more real, more valid, more worthy of you continuing to hold on to them. So, the important thing then to understand is we all have ancestral helping spirits. These are not the dead that I'm talking about. This is the deeper uh, situation of the relationship. So we all have ancestral helping spirits who are luminous beings. They lived well, they died well, their life is reconciled, and they are present and available as this powerful loving force, this great current of belonging that connects the dead and the living and the descendants. They are luminous beings. They, many of them come from a time when your own ancestors were living in a coherent, shamanic a way of life. They understand their role as ancestors and they're wanting to help us. The next thing is, given that, the next thing to do then is to begin to nurture that relationship. If you want help from your ancestral helping spirits to help you get out of the impotent beliefs of your family and the dead. I mean I mean not just your family of origin, but they came by their beliefs honestly. So the generations, the pile of unresolved dead people between you and the luminous ancestral helping spirits, then you need to nurture your relationship with your ancestral helping spirits as you would nurture your relationship with any helping spirits. This is not feeding the hungry dead. This is about cultivating a vital, um, strong, and nourished um, relationship with helping spirit. Okay. The next thing to do is then to begin to address healing and clearing the unresolved energy of the dead in your life so that their beliefs that come from um, the pain, the suffering, the all the sexism and racism and um, terror that people experienced in war and natural disasters, all of this history that humanity carries of all the horrible ways we have treated each other in the last couple thousand years in particular. These things are carried in the energy that it's like a big gray cloud that hangs around the living of these dead who are not able to leave but this energy can be cleared it can be cleared from people it can be cleared from the land it can be cleared from spaces it can be cleared and healed but we need to choose to do that and in the doing of that you will then need to follow up with your own pattern your own version of that pattern and how you clear that out of your life And so, sort of continuing to go down, these are just the basic things that we need to add to our effort to co-create our life, given that we are all co-creating our life, here is the living, with the dead. And the dead are basically either ancestral helping spirits who are able to help us, or they are problematic, unresolved dead who make our own acts of co-creation harder because they change our perspective. They weigh heavily on how we see reality, how we see ourselves in reality, what we see as the possibilities in our lives. So they affect our dreaming. 
and it is from our out of our dreaming that the vision comes that really connects with our passion and makes us feel alive. I mean, one of the main reasons contemporary Americans, and I'm sure this is true for people other than Americans, but I'll speak for Americans, that one of the main reasons contemporary Americans are unable to co-create the life that really feels like it has passion and meaning is because they carry beliefs about what they think is real from their ancestors without knowing it. And that that version of reality doesn't include the things they truly feel passionate about. So how can I create a life of meaning and purpose that I feel passionate about if the thing I feel passionate about doesn't exist in reality? So it's a false reality, but I don't know that. It's the reality that's been handed down to me by my ancestors, and I see that as real. I don't realize it's an overlay on the real reality. And so in this way, we, when we think about co-creating, we have to recognize that we are co-creating with the dead – both the ancestral helping spirits who will help us in that co-creation and the unresolved energy of the dead um, that are problematic in our efforts to co-create. So this is the energy, that unresolved energy of the dead, that in our act of co-creation, as we stumble on beliefs or ideas or things we can't get past, we need to ask, you know, is this the unresolved energy of the ancestors that I'm struggling with? And if so, then get the healing, do the clearing. The work, there's no way around it. They're not going anywhere until we choose to deal with it. And so let's see. So finally, let's see. (sighs) We, the co-creating people, have to do our work in present time. Both the visioning and the co-creating. Like Elida describes in her book. And clearing... uh, And the clearing and the personal alignment, as I've described in countless shows. So in other words, your work in present time is the the yang of it is the visioning and the co-creating. And that those actions are going forward. And the yin of it is the clearing of what rises up that gets in the way and realigning yourself with the vision. And sometimes if the clearing is really profound and it changes your whole sense of who you are, it may even adjust or realign your path towards your calling as well. But the point is um, doing your work to co-create is both the co-creation process and the ongoing self-discovery in that which involves clearing, healing, and realigning yourself with the process. And in that, of course... As um, Elida said in in her book, but is always true, is there is the constant flow from you of acknowledgement, of gratitude, of offering blessings, of speaking prayers, of, of acting in that realm of potential, of calling in spirit and your spirit to bless the whole project and protect it. Okay, so... I'm going to back up here to some shamanic basics about the dead. So the first basic thing to understand about the dead is that shamanic people do not see the dead the way we do. Given how flawed we are in our understanding of dead, death, dying, what to do with the dead, I'm throwing in with the shamanic people. Because I'm not thinking we've got this wired at all. So I'm throwing in with the shamanic people. Okay, so the shamanic people around the world believe that the soul, what we call the soul, is not a single coherent thing. But that it, but that it is multiple energies coalesced into what we call the soul. And the reason they believe this is because they see where these energies go at death and they go to different places. So when they go home... They go to different places. Now, I'm not about to go into all of the many versions of this way of understanding the soul. I'm going to talk about the way the majority of the people see it because this is uh, the essence of what we need to understand to understand the soul differently. So, 
the soul, the human soul, is composed at least of three different aspects of energy that come together to make what we call soul. One is your immortal soul. That is the aspect of yourself that reincarnates, that is connected to karma. There is the energy that is the life force and soul force of the physical body. And that is a very powerful force in your life that is part of your soul. And when you die, it is important that that energy is released back into the earth because it came out of the physical world. It is part of the magic of manifestation. And it needs to go back to restore the health and vitality and well-being of this constant flow of energies manifesting and releasing that manifestation and moving through these transformations here in the physical world. That's an important part of the soul. And, and so also what that is saying is then that the wisdom of the body, the manifestation in physical human form is part of your soul. So your soul and your physical manifestation are not separate things. They are, they are not one in the same, but they are connected. They are, relate, they are re- constantly relating to each other. And then the third part, which is really important shamanically and really important in what we are talking about today in terms of co-creating with the dead, which you don't have any choice but to co-create with the dead because that is the situation we are all living in. So the most important thing to understand about the human soul is that in our life, through the quality of our choices, we cultivate soul force energy. Unfortunately, this is often called like a personality soul. But it's the reason when your ancestral helping spirit of your great-great-grandmother comes back to you, you recognize her as your grandmother because there's a sense of that personhood Maybe that's what we should call it, is the personhood soul. It is a soul that is cultivated through the choices of our life. So that soul force energy is either um, luminous and vital in terms of life and a blessing on the planet, or it can be a really negative force if you choose to be greedy. It's like Scrooge. I mean, this is what the story around Scrooge is about, is about how his cultivation of the soul was creating this black hole of soul force energy by the way he was approaching his miserly, greedy, negative, um, mean uh, way of going through life. And what he learned through visiting the three Christmases is to be a person, to value kindness, to value generosity, to be grateful all of these qualities that are obviously professed in shamanic cultures. And so the point is shamanic, the structure of shamanic cultures is designed to support a human being who by their nature will falter without support. The structure is to support a human being in creating the most luminous personhood soul possible in their lifetime. And one of the main ways that we do that is by co-creating a life that is driven by our soul's passion to do what it came here to do. So when our ancestral helping spirits return to us, it is the force of this personhood soul that is coming back to us. Because if you, you understand reincarnation, the souls are reincarnating as well. So who are our ancestral helping spirits if everybody's reincarnating? Well, the ancestral helping spirit really speaks to the personhood soul. At the same time, the big old pile of unresolved energy of the dead has also to do with the personhood and the lack of luminosity, the misinformation, the the miscalculation, the misdirection of the energy of a life. And how, it, how the person is left unresolved at the end. They're still attached. Their life is unlived. There's still all this frustration. And consequently, they can't get out of here when they die because they're not done. And so this is the issue or the important thing that I think gets illuminated through the multiple soul theory that we see in shamanism is that the personhood soul matters a lot. 
And it is not the same as just simply dealing with your karma, which is going to follow the immortal soul as it moves through lifetimes. So because of this, we have a tradition in shamanism of psychopomp, which is to convey the souls of the dead, to make sure that they are able to leave here, the realm of the living, when the soul leaves the body, the body will be cared for, the soul force energy that was connected to the manifestation of the body goes back into the earth the immortal soul and the personhood soul move on out of the realm of the living through various stages and ultimately arrive in the land of the dead where the energies reconnect with the oneness of all things and the reincarnating aspect of the soul reincarnates or gets in line to reincarnate or whatever. But the important thing we're talking about in terms of ancestral helping spirits is that the personhood soul reconnects with the oneness, gets just as smart as every other helping spirit, and then is able to return to us as a vital helping spirit. And so that is the part of the reason psychopomp is a traditional part of shamanic healing. One, well, and traditional cultures because sometimes the psychopomp role is purely its own role in some cultures not necessarily the shaman's job but the point is it's looking at how how critically important it is for the dead to get out of here one so that we have ancestral helping spirits to help us the living to co-create our life and so that the dead don't hang around which is problematic for the dead and problematic for the living it's an unhealthy situation for everybody so that's that's the the big um, the two main driving forces behind psychopomp. And so, the healing and the clearing you might need to do if you stumble on unresolved energy of your ancestors as as the thing that's getting in the way of your co-creating your life is um, that these energies need to be uh, moved on. And crossed over. So psychopomp is a piece of it, but it's not all of it because you have to reconcile why didn't the soul move on in the first place? And in doing that, it exposes the beliefs and the values and the very things that you are carrying unknowingly in this life as part of your definition of reality that doesn't really need to be there. And then on top of that, for the ancestral energies that we do clear and cross over, to the land of the dead then they are available to come back to you as an ancestral helping spirit that supports you in living and co-creating your life so it restores the natural cycle of things okay so we have um so the quick list then of the reasons that we don't die well because people people in particular tend not to die well today there have always been people that haven't died well for whatever reason. The main reason being because it's an accidental death. It's a sudden um, and surprising death. It's not one that's coming at the end of a life where it's expected and the person has really reconciled their life and ready to go. It's sudden. It's accidental. Um, it's a surprise. So that's one of the main reasons people don't realize that they're dead. Um, but the other reason that things people don't die well is that they fear death. Or they fear what will happen to them at death. And so this is a very contemporary issue. Contemporary meaning since the manifestation of organized religion. And the revealed religions that many people on the planet subscribe to. Another reason that people don't die well is there are very complex life-saving measures that are very confusing and distracting um, if a person is actually dying. You know, if a person is actually dying, they don't need all the people around them trying to keep them alive. They need to be supported in dying. So that's a really complex and confusing, tricky thing because, of course, we don't have shamans when, on the ambulance able to ask the person, are you trying to die or are you trying to live? Should we be saving you or should we be helping you die? We don't, we don't do that culturally. The other reason that people don't die well is often in, in our contemporary world, at least in America, is a lot of people die alone or isolated or alienated because they die um, 
without connection to a community or a family. So that can be, um, can create a kind of sadness and disconnection around death that doesn't prepare people to die well. Um, the other thing is in the, contempt- in the contemporary world, people are overcome and overwhelmed by distractions and worries and petty concerns about everything, that there's this superficial level of distraction that is fed by the news, that is fed by TV, that is fed by this level of false reality that um, people churn in and they don't realize that when they die, they just continue to churn in it because there's been no cultivation, no paying attention to the things that have deeper meaning. Um, when people die a violent death, die in warfare, die in gang shootings, just die a sudden and unexpected violent death, when people die a, a violent death because of a natural disaster, these are all reasons people often don't recognize that they're dead. They simply don't die well in a way that allows them to clear out of here. A huge problem in contemporary life is that people's life affairs are not in order, not emotionally or psychologically or spiritually. And many of them are not in order in the everyday life. There are unresolved relationships, there are feuds, there are um, excommunications in families and banishments, there's unreconciled debt emotionally or literally, all this kind of stuff. Um, Many people have enormous fear and anxiety when they're not in control. And you're not in control when you're dying. And so often people just panic at death because they can't control it. And they're afraid of the unknown. And they don't die well. Often people are simply emotionally unprepared for death because in America... We don't prepare people for death. We don't even want to talk about it. We ignore it. We treat it as a failure and people are emotionally completely unprepared. It's one of the reasons, I think, that um, working with psychoentheogens um, or plant medicines at death when people are terminally ill is helping people die better because it's helping them deal with this emotional immaturity and lack of preparation for dying well. And people are just trapped in the psychic pollution of material attachment, of having, you know, lived a life with a defining sex as have success as having the most toys. And so these are all reasons people don't really die well. So when one doesn't die well and doesn't accept the help, the amazing spirit help that arrives at the moment of death, um, then the dead tend to just hang around and do the only thing they know how to do, which is hang around the living. And whether they feel it or not, the coalesce, coalesced energy of the life they created wants reconciliation. So even if you know nasty Uncle Bob doesn't want to reconcile his life, his life, that unresolved energy, wants to be reconciled. All this energy here wants to move towards balance. Because it's a yin-yang world. It all wants to move to this place of, move, of balancing its excesses and deficiencies out for health and well-being for life. And so even the life wants to move towards balance and to be released from the stress of a form that is rooted in fear or excess or scarcity or whatever. That the life that the person lived wants to move towards balance and a healthy flow of life so the dead um, look forward to the free will in the living to be able to shift their lives they didn't do it with their own free will and so now they're looking to use ours and so then two things happen that affect us the living uh, as we're trying to co-create our lives is um some of the, the, the dead that are stuck here sort of understand their role as ancestral helping spirits, but they're false ancestral helping spirits. And what happens is in their effort to support and protect us, they block us with their fear, fear-based beliefs. In other words, let's say somebody was pursuing their life dream. They got on a ship and they, in the old days and sailed across the Atlantic and perished. That ancestor will likely have or could likely have the belief that pursue your dreams will kill you. 
And so as you proceed to co-create your life and pursue your dreams, that ancestor in, in a sincere effort to help you will stand in the way of you pursuing your dreams to keep you from killing yourself because they believe by pursuing your dreams, you'll kill yourself. So you get these false ancestral helping spirits that actually block us from doing what it is that we're trying to do. And what that can feel like is a, it's like, um, working, 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 co-creating, co-creating. Everybody's moving along well. You're feeling the joy of the flow of manifestation and then bam, you hit an invisible force field and you can't figure out where it's coming from. That's kind of what these false ancestral helping spirits feel like. Or you're fine, everything's moving along well, then all of a sudden you have a horrible dream and you wake up paralyzed by this fear you don't understand where it really came from in terms of living your soul's purpose. So these are kind of ways that that kind of false ancestral helping spirit comes forward. The other way it can come forward is the more common way, which is the unresolved energy of the dead simply hijacks our life. And it confuses our sense of what we, what, what we believe it, or it defines what we believe, which is less than what we really could be believing, and it shapes our sense of our reality. So how can you use your shamanic skills to add to your visioning and co-creating? So the main ways that we can do that is um, you can work with journeying, you can work with power objects, and you can work with the cultivation of strong relationships with your true ancestral helping spirits. Okay, so one of the first, so let's say you're, co, you're doing a good job co-creating your life, to, you're, you're, you're doing your part, and you're sensing, I think there may be some ancestral, unresolved ancestral energies at play here, getting in my way. So you could do, you probably could be successful doing a divination journey to your own regular helping spirits and simply asking, um, are there, um, or where are there unresolved ancestral energies confounding my co-creating? And confounding is a really good word because it involves a whole lot of possibilities of how the ancestors are actually getting in the way because they may not just be blocking you. But confound is a really good word. Um, it means to bewilder someone, to make things worse, to refute something, to put someone to shame, to frustrate, to mix things up, to express anger, and to ruin something. All those things are encompassed in confound. And so it's a really good word to use when you're asking questions about ancestral helping spirits. So if yes, if you get a yes, um, then you can always get um, an ancestral healing session. It's not something you can necessarily do yourself, but I do it long distance. Other shamanic practitioners can do it. So I would just suggest you get an ancestral a healing of uh, the ancestors. So if yes and... Um, the helping spirits say that you can work with your ancestral helping spirits to successfully distance yourself from the unresolved energies. Then, assuming on the other hand, you're cultivating a strong relationship with your true ancestral helping spirits, they may be able to step in and lift the burden of the unresolved ancestors off so you're free to move. That's always a possibility. You still ultimately need to do the healing, but you might not need to do it right now. If, if yes and unresolved ancestral issues. Then another journey you can ask is what beliefs have they set into motion in my life? So you can begin to, to, to tease out their beliefs from your beliefs. You can also work with power objects because I think power objects are a way that help us to visualize what it is that we want to create without attaching too tightly to what that vision is because it's very important to put energy into manifesting the vision and then to give it up to spirit to let the universe work on pulling it together and then then giving energy to the vision so there's always this kind of back and forth of your focusing on it and releasing and focusing and releasing and by creating a power object of the vision of what it is you're wanting to co-create with spirit it gives you something to speak blessings to spirit prayers to to sing to to breathe the breath of life into it literally um, in your altar practice in the morning there's lots of ways to work with a power object that can help you work powerfully with it without having to pin it down so tightly you can't actually get that vision manifest 
And then, of course, the final thing is to simply work with your true ancestral helping spirits to find out who they are, to feed and nourish that relationship, which involves um, often creating a power object for them, giving the, giving them offerings, um, more, talking to them morning and evening, maybe building them a shrine. I mean, I've talked about that in other shows with ancestral helping spirits. And once you feel comfortable in the realm of these luminous ones, the luminous ancestral helping spirits in your journeys, you may want to share your vision and ask if there are particular ancestral helping spirits you have who are interested in helping you manifest that vision. Because it may be the continuation of visions of ancestors long past. And they may want very much to help you with that. Another thing you can do if you feel overwhelmed by the ancestors, which is possible because there are many, is to ask one to step forward as a spokesperson for your true ancestral helping spirits. So you, you communicate with that one ancestral helping spirit who draws in, it's like a funnel, for all the information of all the ancestral helping spirits. It's a really good way to begin working with them when you're not used to that huge abundance of help that can pour in from the luminous ones. So with that said, I hope this can help you to recognize that one of the main reasons that we are here is to live our soul's purpose. And yet at the time that we are doing that, we are doing it with the dead. So it's important for us to understand how to work with them as true ancestral helping spirits, but also to recognize them as the problem that they may be, to help to clear them out of the way and to move out from underneath the burden of their limited beliefs and values and to truly breathe life into the vision of the life we were born to live. And so I give great gratitude to all of the true ancestral helping spirits that stand around us, human and non-human. I give gratitude to the earth below and the sky above and to the heart that unites us all. Have a beautiful week, everyone.